Matt just shared something with me that he wants to share before I share, so maybe I don't need to say anything. No pressure. Um, just... <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, just, just, as we, just as we were worshipping, I just felt God just gave me a, um, a word and a picture about the significance of Mark's message. Now, we all know that whatever Mark shares, it will be significant to us yeah. because he's a man of God that hears from God, and that will be fantastic. But God just gave me the, the image of a plough, and that Mark's word today is going to plough some land for us. It's going to plough up something, and when we plough something, it's, it's the farmers getting the fields ready, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, for sowing their seeds that something that's fruitful is going to grow. And it, it's, it's breaking old ground, and it's releasing something fresh and new. Uh, and I just feel that there's something significant that what Mark's going to share is it's a ploughing word for us. Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks, Mark. Wow, it's so good to be with you. It's always brilliant to be with you, actually. And so thank you for always making me feel so at home here. Um, there's a part of Sarah and I that lives here, actually, that never leaves. Um, and that's true for King's Church in Manchester, too. And I'm always close to tears when I come to you. Because I think this is an increasingly emotionally healthy church. And it brings the emotionally healthy part of me out as well, which means I'm never far away from tears, you know. So, um, you know, sometimes you cry because your heart is breaking. And sometimes you cry because the storm is breaking. Yeah. Tears of sadness and then tears of joy. My tears this morning for you are tears of joy. Because I believe there is not just a season shift, but an epoch shift for you from surviving to thriving. And, um, and it's my joy and delight to be able to have journeyed with you through the tears of mourning and join with you in the tears of joy when you as a community shift from surviving to thriving. And Ruth, you were so right. Where are you, Ruth? You know, I was just prophetically sensing the momentum of this community this morning and the power there is in the critical mass of community and the momentum of community for those who need help and support. Because as a community shifts into thriving, there are still individuals within it who are surviving and those who will come into your midst that are surviving, and they're clinging on for dear life. But the critical mass and the momentum the community can provide to those who need help by wrapping itself around them is extraordinary. And I'm just excited about those today within your community who feel like they're just hanging on. Because you as a community have got critical mass and momentum now and trajectory that you can just deploy towards them. And if they can't fly, you can grab hold of them and you can fly and take them up with you. And that's just so powerful, and that's absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but it's just true. Um, I want to ask you a life-changing question today, which is, what do you see? What do you see? What do you say and what do you do are also equally two life-changing questions, but that's not for this morning. But what do you see is a really fundamental question, the answer to which can change your life. I believe, and I know, um, that the Lord has been speaking to you a lot in this season about what you see. He asked Jeremiah a question, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 11, Jeremiah, what do you see? Jeremiah in that verse goes on to say he sees an almond tree. And the almond tree, and, and God says to him, Jeremiah, you have seen well. And then he interprets the almond tree 
as a prophetic sign of God is watching over his word to perform it. Jesus prayed for a blind man and then said to him, what do you see? And the blind man said, I see men walking around looking like trees. And it's probably one of the only times, if the only time I've ever, Jesus had to pray again. Because he wasn't satisfied with that man seeing men that looked like trees. He wanted that man to see men that looked like men. So God cares about the quality of our eyesight. And I believe in this season, not just as a result of what I'm saying today, but as a result of what lots of people have said before today, I believe the Lord, just like he did for Elisha's servant, wants to open your eyes to be able to see things differently and to see different things. So that's my prayer for today. And I know that in, in, in saying that, I am standing on the shoulders of those who have gone before me in the weeks preceding this week who have talked to you about, in, in essence, what do you see? <clears throat> in Acts 15, let's slide aside, in Acts 15.32, it says that Judas and Silas were prophets. And in that verse, it says, they said much to encourage and to strengthen the brothers. Okay. Prophets who were commissioned by apostles to travel. And it says that what they did was Judas and Silas strengthened the brothers. That Greek word strengthened actually means to firmly fix what has already been put in place. Strengthen. To firmly fix what has already been put in place. And what I'm going to do today is hopefully to firmly fix in your hearts and minds that which has already been said to you by the folks who have been speaking over the last few weeks. Does that make sense? So I've listened to all of the talks that have been given here since Christmas twice. I'm sure there's no badges for that. Nobody rushed to the front with my blue Peter badge for that. (laughs) But having decided what I wanted to speak on, what I felt the Lord wanted me to say to you, I was curious about the flow that I would be stepping into. Not to check out whether what I was going to say was right or not. If it had been completely different, I'd have still shared it. But I wanted to understand, because there's a relational connection between us and, and, and me and you... And I was curious about what that might look like. So I'm going to do a quick whistle-stop tour. So Now, if you haven't listened to all of them, first thing is, please, technology can be our master or it can be our slave. As our slave, it's brilliant. And one of the ways in which we can enslave it is to use it to do good things with. (laughs) So if you do miss a Sunday, please listen to it on the podcast. Utterly brilliant. I was so blessed the first and the second time. I listen to everything that's been said here since Christmas. Trevor started the year by talking about living from a higher place. Ali then the following week talked about coming up higher. Trevor in the third week said, look up. Is it Jeanette? Jeanette, you talked about keeping our feet on the ground and our heads above the clouds. I love that. I was in a hotel room in Edinburgh listening to that. And as you were talking, I was catapulted to Lyme Park. It's one of my favorite places. When I, it's a thin place, Lime Park, for me. When I want to get close to God, I walk up onto the tops of the moors. And as you were talking, I was in Lime Park. And Jeanette is like suddenly transformed into this um, 
sort of like tour guide, this National Trust tour guide. And she's, she's walking me around spiritually, metaphorically speaking, Lime Park. And she's saying, your feet are on the ground, but your, your head's up above the clouds. And that's where I go to do that, literally, physically. So I was suddenly catapulted from Edinburgh Premier Inn or wherever I was to, um, to a much more glorious place. So thank you for that. Richard came the next week and said, what if there's more apostolic teaser that he is? Um, and, then, and then Dan, where's Dan? Oh my gosh. I sat on the stairs with you and I cried and I sang. I sat with you on that stair and I sang with you, my friend. You guys, the power of authenticity. And Ruth, never apologize for crying. It's one of the most powerful things you will ever do. Prophetically, the prophets, they, some of them, the most powerful thing they ever did was cry because it just gives people to, permission to feel like the way they feel. But I sat with you on that step and I sang that song and it was like amazing, absolutely unbelievable, brilliant. Thank you for your authenticity and vulnerability and keep showing up here with all of that. With all of that. Wow. And then Trevor talked about the circumcision of the art. I tripped up over this one. I thought, what the heck has this got to do with, with vision? I had, to pray, I had to pray really hard to get the answer to this one. And then, and then God said to me, he said, but you see with the eyes of your heart. So a circumcised heart is about purity that allows us to see things in an unimpaired way. So you, 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 I rescued you, Travis. All right. It's completely in the flow. Um, and then Ali, in a beautifully created... I mean, the trouble with listening to Ali on the podcast is you're trying to imagine what's going on in the room. <laughs> we need to start doing, like, video streaming or something because I was trying to work out, like, the lights were going down, music was coming up, like, things were happening, and I was thinking, I can't see any of this. And I'm, like, trying to translate the words into... But the, the, the thing with, with Ali... So Ali was talking about, like, being able to see the heavenly realm and not always to think that it's up there but it's actually down here it's in this room oh that was amazing and I and I love it when Alice talks because Ali sees things I don't and I feel like I, I, you're just like you're just like a prophet you're a visionary you're not like a prophet you are a prophet you're a visionary you see things none of us can see and you're desperate for us to be able to see them and you 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 pull out all the stops you know Right, in order for the likes of me who can't see anything, right, to be able to see what you can see. And I just want to encourage you to keep doing that. Yes. Keep, keep seeing what none of us can see and keep describing it to us. And just forgive us if we take a while to get there because we're just playing catch up with you all the time. Yeah? And the creative way in which you do that is amazing and beautiful. I don't think I've said anything about Trevor, have I? No, right, Trevor. So... <laughs> Have I missed anybody out? I don't want to miss anybody out because they go and think it. But, you know, when I was listening to Trevor repeatedly talk to us, you know, in the talks that he was giving, I just felt like, it just, Trevor, you just reminded me of a, of a dad, of a father who wants the best for his kids. And you will say and do whatever it takes to help them enter into the best that he and you have got for them. Do you know what I mean? So keep, keep challenging us with what you know is the best for us. Yeah, keep doing that. Keep doing that. I was so blessed in my Edinburgh hotel room listening to all these, these words. But to me, they all spoke to me about what do we see? What do we see? And the orientation of our vision. 
So I want to talk to you today, slightly in from the side, about a word called perspective. Because vision is what you see. Perspective is the lens that you look through to see what you see. It comes from the Latin, perspective, to see through. So perspective is the lens that you and I look through to see what it is we see. It can be derived as our point of view, our position, our stance, our frame of mind, our approach, our way of looking at things, our vantage point, our interpretation, our attitude. You see, the way that you and I look at things changes the things that we see. And sometimes if you want to change something, change the way you look at it. Perspective is hugely powerful. I could impress you with all sorts of, the, you know, these like little pictures you put up and you go like, what do you see? And somebody sees a candlestick and somebody else sees a, a frog or whatever it is. I'm not going to bother you with any of those. I'm just going to use words. <clears throat> the thing about the lens that you and I look at things through is that it can get distorted. And it can get shaped. So let me just talk to you about three distortions. So one of the things that can distort your lens and mine is pain. I'm not a big fan of the dentist. And I definitely am not a big fan of my hygienist. Who seems to delight in inflicting large amounts of pain on me. Lecturing me why I don't clean the teeth properly. And then charging me a lot for the privilege. (laughs) Does anybody else have that problem? So last time I went... One of my kids said to me, you should ask for a sticker. So I said to my hygienist last time, if I don't get a sticker this time, I am going to be absolutely gutted. And she gave me, literally, I went out with a sticker, right? (laughs) Because after about three years of lecturing me on how to clean my teeth, she finally decided I wasn't doing a bad job. And you know what the killer blow was? She said to me, Mark, your destiny is in your own hands. That was the kill for me. All right, I'm going to clean my teeth properly if my destiny is in my own hands. Why am I saying this? Oh, yes, I'm saying this because the dentist, I like him. You know, he's, he's a dentist to all my kids and, you know, he's a family friend in some ways. But I don't ever like really going to see him. Nigel, it's good to see you. He's not words that have ever come out of my mouth. <laughs> Three weeks ago, I started to feel some pain. I was in Edinburgh. Got home, more pain. A day later, Nurofen and paracetamol every two hours, and I'm still in a lot of pain, and I suddenly think, I know what this is. It's an abscess. So I prayed. I rang the dentist, and I prayed like I've never prayed before, that he could see me, like, now. <laughs> Ten o'clock the next morning, I sat up all night in a chair, because it was so painful. Drove to the dentist, ran through the door, and I said, Nigel, I've never been so glad to see you. My perspective, <laughs> my perspective... <laughs> On my dentist had completely changed. Why? Because I was in agony and I needed to see him. A few weeks ago, a friend of mine, I hadn't seen for ages, is coming towards me. And of course, I'm a hugger. So I was going, I was going in for a hug. And I could see terror on his face. <laughs> and I thought, hang on a minute. That's like, I'm friend, you know. I've got two broken ribs. <laughs> as he backs off me, right? All of a sudden, his perspective of me was very different because he was in pain. And suddenly, I was no longer friend. I was very definitely foe, right? Pain can change and distort our lenses. Pain can make us the victim. 
The moment I become the victim, I go looking for a villain. You'll do. You'll do. And now I need some heroes. Where are my heroes? Who's going to be my hero? Pain can distort our lenses that we create villains of people because we have decided we're the victim. And that affects the story that you tell yourself. And the story that you tell yourself is the most powerful story you will ever tell. I think I've talked to you about that before. So pain can distort our lens. Predisposition can distort our lenses. I have a dog, Black Lab Meg. No boundaries whatsoever. (laughs) So anybody that she sees, she feels it's her duty to make sure that she gets as up close and personal with them as possible. Some children and adults... Welcome the boundaryless Labrador with open arms. Right? <laughs> Peter knows her well. <laughs> Meg, the famous Meg. We should bring her one day, shouldn't I? That'd be good. Sir. I know. Some small people and adults see the sight of a black lab hurtling towards them as a terrifying prospect. Right? Now, I'm not saying that all dogs are safe, but neither am I saying all dogs are dangerous. So the thing about a dog is not to be afraid, but to, to take care. The difference between being careful and fearful is quite, quite a lot. Right? Careful is wisdom, fearful is not. Right? But the problem is, is that lots of small people learn their fear from their parents. So I'm walking with my dog, and most of the time she's on a lead when we're around people. She doesn't mind horses at all, but people, got to get to know people. So most of the time around look at people, my, my lab will be on a lead. But as you're walking down the road, you can see adults, like, scooping up their children. Sometimes it's a chihuahua, which is even funnier, actually. <laughs> like, and as they, like, pick up their child, and I, you can just see, like, I'm training this child to be predisposed towards the fact that dogs are dangerous. Where did that predisposition come from? Parents. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't be careful, but you don't need to be afraid, right? Where did, that, where did that lens of fear come from? It came from a predisposition parented into me. Ooh. And then the third one is prejudice. Anybody got a BMW here? Forgive me because it, this is my BMW prejudice now, right? Please, like, I know I've just lost about, I don't know how much of the room I've lost. But I have, I have acquired over many years of experience a prejudice towards BMW drivers, right? who, according to me, consistently do really stupid things on the roads. I love it when there's a half inch of snow because the real-wheel drive cars can then not go anywhere. So I skip down the road in my four-wheel drive, rejoicing in the fact there are no BMWs to be seen anywhere because they're all stuck on their drives because they can't get off. But one of the consistent bits of feedback that Sarah, who is not here today, my wife, gives me every single week of my life is not all BMW drivers are stupid. Because there's this thing called confirmation bias, right? Which is the moment I decide all BMW drivers are stupid, you're going to have to forgive me. Please, I don't really believe this, but this is a prejudice, right? I go looking for evidence to support my view. There's a BMW, I'm going to scan it until it does something really stupid. And now I know my point is proved, right? right. The other day, this is, this, honestly, Sarah gives me this feedback all the time because I'm still a work in progress, right? I'm not over it yet. 
a BMW driver stopped to let me out the other week. You can imagine Sarah's delight. Stop the car right now. Let's build an altar and celebrate the fact that a BMW driver just extended mercy to you. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Forgive me. Sarah is working on me very hard. You see, if you go to the optician sometimes, if you've got the opticians on test, they stick these lenses on and they go better with or without. Have they done that to you? With or without. You get to the point where you can never tell. I go to the opticians and I go, do you know what? I give up. You tell me. (laughs) Because I don't know. (laughs) Better with pain or without? Better with predisposition or without? Better with prejudice or without? The problem is none of us are without. Including me and including you. At any point in time, we are probably all carrying some level of pain, some level of predisposition, and some level of prejudice. The beautiful thing to do is to own that, not to try and pretend it's not true. There is none so blind as those who will not see, right? They say. Owning our stuff in that sense is really important because it allows us to challenge ourselves about what it is that we are really seeing when we say we think we know what we see. It's wisdom to know that not everything is the way you see it. Yikes. Which is why we all need people in our lives who we trust more than ourselves. This is what I see. What do you see? And you're allowing someone other's perspective to update yours. The fourth way in the way that I really want to focus on, which probably will be far less entertaining, quite frankly, but anyway, um, is position. We all have a very different position in this room. And as a result of where we are positioned within this room, our perspective of it is entirely different. Every single one of us would describe this morning the space, the place, what we did, how we did it. We'd all describe it differently. None of us would be wrong, but all of us would be different. Oh, wow. This is getting complicated now. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three gospels, three lenses onto the story of Jesus. Not all the same. Who's right? They all are. Why? Because those books are written through the lens they choose to look at it through. Why have we got three? In fact, why have we got four? Well, because God intended the life of Jesus to be looked at through at least four different lenses. Why? Because every single one of them will have prejudice and predisposition. John's predisposition was, I'm not even going to start in the manger. I'm going to go way back in the beginning. John's perspective, so vastly different. Nobody is sitting here arguing about which of the Gospels is right, are we? Because we own the fact that they're all looking at things through different lenses and seeing different things. It's really important and powerful. 
So perspective matters. This is why the Lord said to Abraham, look up. It's why he said to Ezekiel, stand up. It's why he said to the Apostle John in Revelation, come up higher. What's this look up, stand up, come up thing all about? It's a trinity, I thought. I listened to Trevor on the circumcision and there were trinity, trinitarian points flying out of everywhere. I couldn't decide whether I was coming backwards or forwards or upwards or inwards or outwards at some point. But Richard was helping you out, I seem to remember with that. Yes, well done, Richard. Um, I won't inflict that on you today. But the whole thing about um, look up, stand up, come up is all to do with perspective. Abraham, I can't show you what I want to show you if you don't look up. Ezekiel, I can't speak to you what I need to speak to you unless you stand up. John, there are things that I want you to look at, but you need to be able to see them from up there, not from down here. Okay. And Paul was very clear in Ephesians to remind us that we are seated with him in heavenly places, even when I am sitting in the dust and the darkness of a valley of depression and mental illness. My legal position is seated with him. Even when I sit on the stairs and I sing a song, I'm seated with him. Paradox that we have to, we wrestle with, because it doesn't feel like we're very regal sometimes. But that's where we are seated. It's said, commonly, that our attitude determines our altitude. Have you heard that said? The attitude of the wings of a plane are positioned in such a way that it creates altitude when the law of aerodynamics overtakes the law of gravity. That's about all I know about flying, by the way. But But actually, the reverse polarity is true. Our altitude determines our attitude so often. So often. It's the other way around. And that's the difference between the eagle and the chicken. And I know we've talked about these two bird groups before, but I'm going to refer back to them at this point. You know, the perspective that an eagle has on everything is dramatically different from the perspective that a chicken has on everything. I'm going to take off on a plane on Wednesday and say, I go on a holiday and we're going to... Up into the clouds, very high. I'm not sure how high our cruising altitude will be. But when I get up there, I'm going to look down. And everything is going to look different. So for a while, I'll pretend I'm an eagle. Okay. Do you know the height of a mountain looks very different from up there to down here? Perspective. In fact, the world looks flat from up there. The difference between the mountain and the valley from up there is like, it's almost like it's, you, can't even, you can't even tell the difference. The depth of a valley, how deep is that valley? Well, it doesn't look very deep to me from up here. That's from down here. The width of the sea, how wide is the sea? Well, we just crossed that in no time at all. Blinked and I missed it. What happened there? Because we're traveling at such altitude that things look so small. The size of the problem. Hmm. How many people have got problems? Nobody. Brilliant. Okay. 
the size of my problem from up there looks very different to the size of my problem down here. What's the difference? It's perspective. My problem hasn't shrunk, but my perspective has changed. And now I'm seeing something differently because of where I am positionally. This is why the Lord is speaking to you so much and so clearly about come up higher. Things look very different from there than they do from here. We live here, but we are allowed to see from there. That's the beautiful thing about it. Heaven coming to earth isn't just about power. It's about perspective. It is about power, but it's also about perspective. Do you know our differences? Oh, From down here, when we go clucking around, I wish you'd brought him, by the way. Um, we, we feel very different, don't we? Our differences seem massive. We're just so different. How is this ever going to work? We're so different. And down here, we're so different. Up there, oh gosh, we all seem so similar. We're all the size of the eye of a needle from up there. Can you see those people down there? They're tiny. Can you see how different they are? Of course you can't. They all look like dots. We're just dots. Can't tell the difference when you're up that high. Which is why we are called to live at that level. Because we live at this level and it's all about... I mean, I don't know what the Lord thinks of us all because he's called us all to be eagles and we spend most of our time pecking each other like chickens. You know what I mean? And he's like, the Trinity must be up there going, boys, what have we got to do here different? You know, like, come on, Jesus, like, come on. You can't do any more. Holy Spirit, you're doing all you can. Like, we've, no more, there are no more options. There's just time. 2,000 years we've been practicing at this and we're still hopeless at it. Sometimes that breaks my heart and sometimes it makes me laugh. I think Bester's laughter, right? But we are still making a real poor job of this, aren't we? They must be thinking, what's going on here? There's no plan B. They haven't, they haven't got a whiteboard up there thinking there's something different going to happen, right? It's all going to be because of the cross. It's all going to be because of him. And one day we'll get there. But in the meantime, he's looking at us like... And thinking like... Do they not know they're eagles? You see, the problem is it's possible to live like a chicken even when you are an eagle. Which is what a lot of us do from time to time. The thing about pecking order is interesting because that's where the word comes from, right? Pecking order. Who's in charge around here? My least favorite question. It's not right. The way chickens work it out is sometimes it's based on what color are you versus what color am I. So the dominance will be about color scheme. Sometimes it's about breeding. I'm a third generation chicken, you know. Mm, very good. What's that got to do with the price of cheese? I don't know. Sometimes it's about size. I'm just bigger than the rest of you, right? So move over. I'm coming through. Sometimes it's about disposition. So the, the extroverts, 
get it, and the introverts just go and hide somewhere and hope it all goes away. Do you know what I mean? Like, so the talkers, the squawkers, they're the ones in charge. Sad, isn't it? But it's a really powerful metaphor what sometimes what, what, where we can end up when we forget that we're eagles and live like chickens. In the business world, there's this kind of this model called the super chicken model. It's a theory about how organizations can choose to operate. And the super chicken model says it's all about the stars rising to the top. And so it's all about competition. I was going to say dog eat dog, but it must be more chicken eat chicken. <laughs> Stuffing and bread sauce, here we come. But anyway, I don't know. But anyway, it's chicken eat chicken. Because this is about the super chicken model where companies succeed because they have stars. And the way that you have stars is people compete. And some people shine, and some people just quiver and die in a corner somewhere. The realization is, though, general conventional wisdom says now that this model is fatally flawed. Because actually, they've studied organizations where it's all about superstars and competition, and they've kind of mapped their progress against what they call social cohesion teamwork. Very posh. What it basically means is we're all in this together, and everyone's got something to give and something to learn. Right? It's kind of called Community Church Huddersfield, really. Yeah? It's a posh name. If you want to rename Social Cohesion Teamwork, Inc. No, forget it. Just be who you are. Which are eagles who don't feel the need to have to compete. Who actually don't see the differences anymore because you've learned to soar at such a height that nobody threatens you. Even their differences... In fact, you celebrate them. That eagle's doing a figure eight. And you're going like that. I don't think I've ever seen an eagle clap, but you know what I mean. <laughs> probably dangerous if you're an eagle to suddenly start clapping. Because you probably hurt like a stone to the ground. Every metaphor crashes and burns at some point. <clears throat> oh gosh, I should stop. So, my last points. The Pauline imperative of the New Testament is to become who you really are. Be who you are is Paul's imperative. And you are eagles, not chickens. Every time you catch yourself acting like a chicken, remind yourself, remind yourself that you're an eagle. Every time somebody else starts acting like they're a chicken, put your arm around them and remind them you're an eagle. You're an eagle. Don't ever forget it's possible to live like a chicken even though you are an eagle. And heaven is waiting for us to wake up. Not just so that we become the sons and daughters of God that he's called us to be. I think creation is growing because it's waiting for a bunch of eagles to soar. And still we've got too many chickens. For some of you... Being an eagle right now might mean you need to look up. Because this is really about, if this is a plowing word, this is really about where where the plow starts to really take effect. So that was great, very entertaining and all good stuff. But what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with that, this word? What are you going to do with everything you've heard since Christmas? I think what you do with it is you, you, you embrace it. And you translate it into some kind of action. What we see is a life-changing question. What we say is a life-changing question. 
But we are not what we see or what we say. We are what we do. What do we do with this? What we do with this is we challenge ourselves to believe that maybe not everything is the way I'm seeing it right now. A healthy respect for your monopoly on being right about everything because of the lens that you are looking at it through. And invite Holy Spirit, invite those in your trust circle into, your, into a conversation about what do you see? Can I compare it with what I see? And can we have a go at like this game of like with or without? With or without? To do that, I think we have to accept an invitation from the Lord like Abraham did to look up. Because you end up going where you're looking or you have a minor car accident <laughs> or an accident with a mini. Um, you've got to look where you're going. That's why songs are so important, by the way. That's why, Dan and Ruth, you need to keep encouraging us to sing. Because yes. yeah. songs are sales. I always think of a song as a sale. Yeah, yeah. The moment I start to sing, I've put up a sale. Yeah. And the wind of the Holy Spirit catches that sale. And it takes me to a place. That's why the Psalms have a whole section called the Songs of Ascent. Because they sang them on the way up the mountain. Right? Songs are sales. So we've got to look up. We've got to sing up. Maybe that's a different point. Stand up. You know, lying down can be a place of rest. It can also be a place of self-pity. I felt sorry of myself loads of times. I've had some amazing pity parties. The problem was nobody ever accepted my invitation to join me. <laughs> Least of all, Sarah, who is ruthless in RSVPing to say, not interested. I'm not joking. I am not joking. The famous line to me is, your rejection is showing. Thank you for that. Brilliant. I love it a bit. I need a lot of help. She, ha- she helps me greatly by not agreeing with everything I say or do. Petty parties can be a very lonely place. Sometimes the exhortation to, s- to stand up is an invitation from Jesus to step out of our feeling sorry for ourselves yes. into a whole new chapter. Yes. Roll up your bed and walk, Jesus said to that man. And he did just that. He stood up and he entered into a brand new chapter. He could have stayed there. Continuing to lie in self-pity. But Jesus came along and graciously challenged him. Sometimes we do that to ourselves. Sometimes we have wives and husbands that do it to us. In my case, very often. And, um, and sometimes we need to do it for each other. Oh, my friend, my brother, my sister, stand up. I'll help you. Stand up. Step out of feeling sorry for yourself and licking your wounds and let's move into a new chapter where you find healing and restoration and everything you need for a brand new start. It's possible. Accept the invitation that has been extended to you through the wonderful people that have spoken to you before me. Accept the invitation. Go back and listen to those podcasts. Mind, sift through them from the gold dust that you need to hear right now. You know, we are not, I always think with, we, we do talks on a Sunday, don't we? We call them talks in my life. That's why I call them talks. But anyway, I don't know what you call them, preachers or whatever. Um, it's, but I don't care what they're called. It's what they're about, really. Isn't it? But it's just like, um, why am I saying that? What I'm saying that is, I worry sometimes that we as Christians and church, we're just train spotting. That, that 
talk or that preach just passes us by and we note the number. But nothing about what was said has changed my life. Because I've not taken hold of that truth and deposited it, sowed it into my heart and my mind. And so it hasn't made any difference at all. And I think the more you sit there and listen and don't do anything with what you're hearing, you become anesthetized to the whole purpose of what we're doing right now, which is to hear something that could change your life and allow it to. Amazing. I loved everything that these these folks had shared. It was brilliant, powerful, beautiful, and I'm going to keep listening. Cheer you on from my Edinburgh hotel room or wherever I happen to be. Um, But the most important thing is you do that for yourselves. Go back over those talks and accept the invitation from Holy Spirit to come up higher and to see things differently and to see different things. I close with this thought, um, and then it would be great if somebody would like to pray for us all. That would be amazing. There are many fantastic attributes of eagles. Um, one of them is the way that the mothers behave when it's time to kick, when it's time for the birds to fly. Because basically, when mum decides these kids need to fly, you know what she does? She tears the nest apart. And the kid's like, what is going on here? Anyway, that's another story. Eagles are probably the only bird that when a storm hits, go high, not low. So most birds, when a storm hits, the birds go down and they go to shelter. But eagles translate the power of the storm into uplift. And that which is coming against them is turned into something that causes them to go higher and to soar above the clouds where the sun is always shining. What amazing thought. We sang a lot about the storm, didn't we, today? It felt like there was a storm. And I'm thankful to God for you that I believe the storm is breaking over you, yeah? Which is why I cry with joy, not sadness. But that doesn't mean there aren't people in this room today who are still experiencing a storm, who, who you know are in a storm. And what I don't want to give them is some theological truth abstract that says you're seated with Christ in heavenly places. If somebody had said to me that when I was sitting in the dust in the dark of the valley of depression, I'd probably thump them, quite frankly. Yeah? <clears throat> but what they do need to know is they're not alone. That was the one thing I needed to know when I was there, was I'm not alone. Nobody could fix it easily and quickly, but I wasn't alone. But there is nevertheless a truth in the fact that we, when we sit there, are seated in heavenly places. And the beautiful thing about eagles is they know how to handle a storm. I am going to allow the energy of this thing to cause me to go high, not to go low. And in going high... I have a perspective on things that is fundamentally different to the one I would have if I went and hid right now. So don't hide in a storm. Find somebody that can help you know you're not alone and then say to them, teach me how to fly. Yeah, be an eagle, not a chicken. Amen. Thank you. If you just want to turn your heart to God, 
we don't want to let that word just pass by. Father God, we want to engage with the truth of your word. We want to not be just hearers of the word only, but we want to be doers. We want to be those that take hold and apply it to our lives. And that takes diligence. It takes thinking things through. It takes going out of here and applying it to our lives during the week. And Father, I pray that the tears in our eyes through pain won't distort how we see. But God, that you would come round. Holy Spirit, you would come as a comforter. And as we blink the tears away, our eyes are refreshed. God, that we see differently. That we choose to go up higher. Father God, may we not just know we're eagles, may we be eagles. May we not just hear about not being a, not being a chicken, but we become eagles. Father God, may we all go on this journey together and nobody get left behind. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to worship while we take tithes and offerings and we can do both at the same time.